Hello, everybody. I am Jeff Arbuckle, co-host of the Film Seizure podcast. Um, I'm also the host of Monster Mondays and Film Seizure at the Movies that you can find here at FilmSeizure.com or at the other various places that you can listen to our show and the various podcast providers. I absolutely positively love the monkeys. And one of the things that we had kind of thought about over the last couple of weeks and something that uh, we kind of finally decided to do that, even though we're taking the summer off and we will be returning in September, um, we thought, well, you know, instead of having completely and totally empty weeks outside of the Monster Monday stuff that we're doing, um, what, let's re-release some of our favorite episodes or some of our favorite conversations and bring them back to people who may be a little bit newer and don't have the time to go searching through 226 episodes to find something that they might like. Um, and, you know, so we want to kind of serve up some of these to say, these are some of our favorite conversations. They might be some of your favorite episodes too. And it may not be a movie that you would necessarily think about watching or think about ever listening to two or three guys talk about. So, we're going to uh, start doing this on a weekly basis instead of doing new episodes while we're on our vacation. Um, we are going to kind of release some of these best of episodes. And this may be something that continues on beyond even after we come back, because there may be weeks in which we skip a week before we do an episode or something like that. So we, you know, we may throw in a, a, a best of episode in there as well. But um, and I picked episode number 40 1968's head to be this first episode because or this first best of episode because like i said i love the monkeys i grew up on them they're a real nostalgia trip for me i still love listening to them i still feel good when i listen to them and i think that that's something that nostalgia and and those sentimental moments in your life should make you feel and they should make you feel good so um so for our first best of episode, um, uh, you know, hang tight for the next hour and a half or so and, and listen to us talk about nine, uh, listen to Jason and I, I should say, talk about 1968's head. Uh, we talked about it right around this 50th anniversary. Uh, in the meantime, like I said, Film Seizure will be back with new episodes in September. Um, it'll either be the very beginning of September or no later than midway through September. But we'll be back in September. Uh, like I also said, there's going to be some slightly different um, ideas that we have that we're excited to do as far as uh, more like theme episodes or uh, things that may not just be a single movie or a single concept that we're talking about. So look forward to that. However, uh the one show that isn't on break is Monster Mondays. You can listen to my uh, Monster Monday show every single Monday afternoon. Um, this upcoming Monday, I will be talking about uh, an interesting little Japanese monster movie called Yokai Monsters 100 Monsters. You can listen to that on Monday, uh, starting Monday, June 27th. And then next month, I'll be talking about some uh, TV shows with monsters and stuff. That's uh, That should be pretty fun, too. Um, also, you may notice that I have some um, film seizure at the movies episodes that I've been doing a lot more of lately. Uh, the next one of those should be out uh, sometime or probably around June 28th, maybe June 30th or so. Um, and I'll have uh, conversations around Lightyear. Uh, or my thoughts on Lightyear, Elvis, 
and Phil Tippett's Mad God that's now streaming on Shudder. So look forward to that. And um, until then, uh, sit back, relax, enjoy this classic episode of Film Seizure, where Jason and I talk about the monkeys. Welcome to another episode of Film Seizure. I'm Jeff Arbuckle. I'm Jason Oliver. And uh, we have something something, something different this time around. Yeah, a little different. I mean, we've, we've delved into these waters a little bit before, but, uh, but this is, I think, something entirely unique. Yeah. What is it? What is it, Jeff? We are celebrating the 50th anniversary of... The monkey's only feature film, Head. Head. Um, so, the, the, I okay. Let's let's back up to why I wanted to do this. Um, I think a little bit of backstory will be uh, could go a long way. I am a huge monkeys fan. I grew up on the stuff. Um, as Jason can attest to, they were on TV a lot in our youth absolutely yep um they were really they were a huge part of the mid 80s and mtv um and we'll get around to a uh to to a little bit of a of a timeline with that and then mix that in with the timeline of how i got to them and then probably talk about how you got to them yeah definitely now another thing i wanted to talk about was simply the fact that Jason, you are a music person, yes. not just a movie person. Yes. You, I, I love music. Some people would call you a snob. Yeah, probably. And, and you probably wear that. I, yeah, I, I probably deserve that. Yeah, I, I try. I try. You know, it's like it's like with movies these days. I, I try to kind of dial that ship down because honestly, it's it's not really worth it. Um, and nobody likes that guy who's like <laughs> who like turns their their nose up at. At what they like, you know, that's I've kind of as I got an older, evolved past that. I feel like, but still, it's uncomfortable when someone asks them like, "Hey, who's your favorite band?" and they say something like, "I don't know, fucking Maroon Five or something." That's hard for me, right? I, I have to kind of like nod my head, like, "Oh, cool, all right," you yeah, know, yeah. Um, because yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have specific taste in music, but across a lot of different genres, yes, and across a lot of different eras. However, I would say where you and I ultimately are a little more divided is through classic music, classic rock. Yeah. Um, I grew up with older brothers and they were like, they were all about the stuff that they were growing up with in the mid sixties and into the seventies and so forth. Like, um, you know, I, I certainly have appreciation for things that I know you don't like at all um and i don't know we'll have to we'll dig into that that might not be true uh no i'm pretty sure that's true <laughs> uh 
I can think of two things right off the top of my head that I probably have a hell of a lot more appreciation for than you do. Well, maybe appreciation is the wrong word. I mean, is it something that I would like? What are they? What are these two things? The Eagles. Oh, yeah. I don't like the Eagles. And Aerosmith. I, I'm okay with Aerosmith. I like okay. I like early Aerosmith. Okay. Basically, everything up to like Love in an Elevator, I'm kind of on board with. Oh, Every, Pump's a good album, though. Everything the after Janie's that. Janie's Got a Gun. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah it's okay. all right. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. pretty much 90s on. I'm, your, I'm, yeah. I'm okay with the Aerosmith. Yeah. All right. The, well, the Aerosmith. The Aerosmith. Yeah. Well, okay. So, all right. Fair enough. But, but definitely um, we have different sensibilities as it as we approach classic rock or oldies yeah uh, probably um i think part of the problem too for me um a lot of my musical discovery came uh, almost i don't know I, a lot of it was on my own i mean it's kind of cliche i'm, I'm sure a lot of you listening have this similar story but it was like the columbia house um oh, you know yeah. tape you know buy buy 12 or buy one get 12 free or whatever my dad Got suckered into that, and he he likes music, but he only likes a few bands. Like he likes the bands from the fifties. Uh, he liked the old Beatles stuff. He didn't really like the Beatles when they start getting getting more counterculture and psychedelic. Yeah. He liked the Dave Clark Five. He liked. Um, that sounds like my mom. The animals, yeah. you know. Yeah, my my mom was into the earlier Beatles, although she does like the later Beatles stuff too. Not nearly as much, um, and that makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. because she was. Her formative years were the late fifties and early sixties. Yeah, uh, you you have a lot different appreciation for popular rock, lesser on the the psychedelic and. Stuff yeah, like so that. I mean, through like Columbia House, I started to actually just based on kind of feel almost, or just things I'd heard in in reference pop culturally. That's how I discovered things like um, Led Zeppelin, The Doors, Pink Floyd. Like my dad didn't listen to any of that stuff. Um, and it wasn't necessarily because it was just because he, he didn't prefer it, right? Right. He and um, so that's how I kind of discovered all that. Um, my dad did like the Beatles, and I I kind of took that appreciation further on my own sure. into some of the stuff that he didn't care for. But what's interesting is where the um where the Beatles sort of stopped being for him, the monkeys kind of came in. Right. He fucking loved the monkeys, right? And um and because of that I that I listened to the monkeys all the time when yeah. I was a kid yeah so yeah and I mean I uh, I probably more like okay well, we'll, well okay I'll, I'll back, <laughs> let me back up from that we've got a lot of ground to cover we got so. boy we got a lot of ground <laughs> to cover um so. Let's do a quick little uh, timeline of the monkeys, kind of talk about what they were, what they were meant to yeah. be, and this is really how we led too. to our today's, this week's movie. Yeah, one quick note here. I think this is really good we're going to do this, because I, when I think of the monkeys, I think I, there's a lot of conflicting, I think, thoughts and rumor and and things that people aren't sure about. Even me right now talking, I'm really excited to hear what Jeff's going to say, and I'm going to ask him questions, because... Um, I'd always heard that the Monkees were like a manufactured boy band. They um, they didn't really play their instruments. They didn't write any music. They um, were essentially props that were created to to make a, a, a U.S. Beatles, right? 
Like their whole point was to compete with the Beatles in the United States. That's all of the stuff that I kind of had heard and various bits and pieces along the way. And I'm sure some of that has a grain of truth to it. And I'm sure a lot of it is bullshit. Um, it's more the other way around. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it, but it's, but it's interesting. The evolution yeah, becomes very well, interesting. Well, yeah. That I think was what I'm most fascinated with because you watch a movie like Head and you're like, holy shit, man. This is a lot of creative freedom, a lot of creative freedom, and there's no <laughs> maybe you know when the when the when the monkeys started they were they were like all right we're gonna go up against the Beatles um, that you think of as the Fab Fab Four right mm-hmm. whereas then all of a sudden the Beatles changed and they were like we don't know what to do with the monkeys the monkeys need to now be countercultural they, they need to be hippie. They need to be what, right? Psychedelic? Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and is certainly some of that, I think, comes into play. But I think some of that was also their own personal expressions starting yeah. to come out. Which I and, think is exactly right, which yeah. I find fascinating as well. So, yeah. So, so take it away, Jeff. All right. <laughs> um, the idea of the show. Um, so the monkeys were prefabricated. They were often called the prefab five. Ha <laughs> ha. Or prefab four, rather. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking. Yeah, never mind. Thinking of uh, George. You're adding George in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Are they, I mean, not, yeah, the other George, not Harrison. Right. <laughs> Martin, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they were they were the prefab four, and uh, it's and, and I don't think they ever argued that moniker. I don't think they ever argued that that's not entirely accurate about them yeah um it it was basically a culmination of beatlemania and uh two guys in particular was uh that that had a lot to do with bringing them to the screen were um bob rafelson who would go by robert rafelson in a lot of these early uh things but he ultimately became a very, very, very important uh, kind of new Hollywood counterculture mm-hmm. director, yeah. particularly teaming up with Jack Nicholson, which is also important for Head uh, a little bit later. Um, and he had a production company with uh, Burt Schneider. It was called Raybert Productions. And they thought, let's have a show that is essentially like the Beatles if the Beatles were never popular basically hard you know kind of down on their luck kind of missing out on opportunity and stuff like that yeah um naturally i think there was already the vibe of it'll be family friendly it'll be something that kids will like especially teenagers and younger will really like um so what happened was they uh, around 65 or so they put out the call for people to come and try out for for this group and i don't remember exactly and and during my research i didn't think of it until now to look up but i think there were hundreds of people who responded to the the casting call and they settled on four guys who happened to be two actors david jones who came from england and mickey dolans who had a tv show when he was a kid uh in the 50s called circus boy Uh, They actually make jokes about that in an episode where the monkeys are at a circus. Um, And two musicians, uh, Peter Tork, uh, Peter 
Peter Torkelson was actually his name. He uh, was from uh, the Washington, D.C. area. I think he uh, probably migrated to Greenwich Village. Um, he became really good friends with uh, Stephen Stills. Oh, huh. Um, so, you know, I mean, he has a little bit of folk background yeah, and, yeah. and pedigree. And then uh, from Dallas, uh, or at least from Texas, I think it's Dallas, uh, Michael Nesmith. Um, Mike Nesmith was kind of new to music, but he could play uh, bass. He was, you know, and he had a pretty good uh, uh, voice and he could write some songs. Uh, in fact, um, he wrote one of um, uh, Linda Ronstadt's biggest songs, uh, Different Drum. Huh. Huh. Uh, from the uh, from the 60s. It yeah. was like one of her first hits. Um and uh it's so he you know so you have this kind of mix of people who are musically inclined and people who could act the parts that they were playing uh funny thing is i was telling you this as we were watching a couple of episodes leading into this uh they were assigned roles to play within the band they were all somewhat musically inclined but were assigned to different instruments than what they actually could play uh mickey could play uh guitar a little bit but he was assigned the drummer uh davy could play guitar but he was assigned the lead singer or he could play drums uh and a little bit of guitar but he was assigned the 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 lead singer um peter could play all sorts of different lead and rhythm guitars and banjo and all this and he was assigned the bassist and then mike who could play bass was assigned the lead guitar. So it was, you know, they were kind of mixed up, but the whole idea was, was that this is a fantasy we're selling. Right. This is a TV show about a band. This is right. not really meant to be a Amazed. band. And it's really, really important to remember that. But when they cut, when they cut the music, I assume that wasn't them playing the instruments in the, in the studio? In the, on the first two albums, no. Okay. Um, later albums, yes. Okay. Um, or at least to a certain extent. Um, be weird kind of like learning your own songs well a lot of headquarters is about uh learning how to be a studio yeah because they did have they ultimately became too popular and they had to go on tour right so they had to 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 learn at that yeah but they were too busy making the tv show to really learn the way that they would have naturally learned by yeah. by eight hour practices and all sorts of you know they they were spending ten hours filming and they were left with just two hours a day to practice right. how to play an instrument to uh to an arena essentially that's yeah. hard yeah. you know luckily the screaming was so loud that you from hear all them. the yeah. teenage girls you couldn't hear them yeah <laughs> right. <laughs> So, um, so in 1966, their, uh, show premiered, it turns out to be a massive hit. Um, and they instantly become out household names and their first album was released just before the, the TV show came out. Uh, interesting tidbit about that is that it is them singing 100%. It is, this is not a Milli Vanilli scenario where <laughs> it's, it's studio singers yeah. singing for these. I mean, it's legitimately the people, uh, you know, the four of them singing. Um, it, uh, which is originally it was supposed to be Davy Jones who was going to be the lead singer. But, um, when Mike got the opportunity to do some of the producing, it was like Mickey's voice is the, is the unique one he yeah. should be the the sound of the band and uh, what did that mean for david jones at that point well 
which was interesting when he was assigned the lead the other three didn't care much for it yeah but at the end of the day he was still the star of the show right so he was sort of still the face he was the face yeah and he was the he was the what the girls were screaming but did, for. but he didn't really write songs right not really i mean he not, but, not did, he, did he play a little bit of drums on any of the studio albums a little bit um from time to time he would and there would be certainly times in concert where he would take Mickey's place so oh, he could cool. come out and sing because being a drummer and a lead singer, it's difficult yep, sure. to balance that. It's always impressive when you see it done well, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked about the Eagles. Yeah. You know, it's like Don Henley's probably the most successful, and Phil Collins were the most successful drummer turned lead singer. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Um, so, or, 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 I mean, this is a weird one, but Dave Gruel as well. Hmm. But he could play every instrument. Sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, all right. So the show's a runaway success. And now. And it won an Emmy, right? It wins the Emmy for their first season for uh, best comedic uh, or best uh, series, com- comedy series, uh, beating out uh, quite popular uh, shows like I think the Beverly Hillbillies were up against that. I think Andy Griffith's show was still on at the time. Uh, so shows that had yeah. a, a run. You know, and um, they beat him. Surprisingly, nobody thought that was going to. It's like one of the greater upsets of of award show history uh, that that they won over these pre-established, already popular and great shows. Right. So the other thing that ends up happening is that um, their albums start selling massively. They are one of the top selling bands of all time. Uh, I, uh, at one point in time, I saw it in there. I may have to look at it. Oh, uh, they've sold more than 75 million records worldwide. Wow. Making them one of the biggest selling groups of all time with international hits, including Last Train to Clarksville, Pleasant Valley Sunday, Daydream Believer, and I'm a Believer. Um, so, you know, 75 million albums in the course of 50 years, of course. I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at. All right. Uh, their first album was on, was number one for one fourth of a year. For 13 weeks. Wow. Uh, spent another like 60 some weeks, I think, in the in the Billboard Top 100 or something beyond that. So it's uh, it became a point where their albums started to eclipse the TV show. And by the second season, NBC was seeing uh, lower ratings while their albums continued to sell higher. Yeah. So it was a situation where NBC wasn't getting what they were getting out of it anymore. So they canceled the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly after, once they knew that the show was being canceled, basically, uh, or or at least when they were pretty sure the show was going away, they started making head. And we'll talk about that in pretty good detail coming up here. But right, right, right. what's most interesting musically from the Monkees is that you're right. By all intents and purposes, they were just singing a soundtrack to a show. They were not meant to be a real band ever, but pop culture had other plans for them and they became really, really popular. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm always kind of impressed. We were talking about this before the, um, before watching head we were kind of talking about, you know, I, I always kind of come to think about the monkeys as being this decade long phenomenon in the sixties, right. Or even into the seventies. And it's not 
that way at all. I mean, it, no. what was what was their whole kind of like like trajectory uh, so, was over what maybe about two years? They had they had a total of nine albums released from uh, July of '66 until early 1970. Yep. Um, they uh, like around April 1970, maybe. But but I mean. They were really kind of no. Behind. They were no. Um, th- their their entire trajectory lasts from about July nineteen sixty six until the end of their series, which was March or May of nineteen sixty eight. Yeah. Um, and some would say it even died before then. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> head came out. Head was sixty eight, but it was, was the end of sixty. It was the end of sixty eight. Yeah. So uh, the the which I- was probably for the best. Probably, yeah, because I mean it's a deconstruction. Uh-huh. Um, so I it's, think it plays better with a little distance away from their their um, mania, I guess. If yeah, you yeah. Um, so you know, we we talked we talked about this before the movie too, which is you know you think about like the Beatles would spend so much time on the road. How did they produce their nine albums? Yeah. Interestingly enough. They produced the same amount of albums. The monkeys had half the time to do it, but of course they didn't have to write all the right. songs. I mean, they, didn't they have to wrote play. very few songs. Yeah, I mean, right, right. They had to- the the writers were were Peter and and Mike. Yeah. Um, as far as when they did get to write their own, a little bit later when they weren't shackled by the TV show, Mickey and and Davy would write a few songs here and there. But yeah, but by by you know the late sixties, sixty nine. They don't have anything else going on. They don't really have the juice anymore. Right. Uh, yeah. And they and they are um they're kind of living out the popularity of being Saturday morning reruns mm-hmm. at some point too. Yeah. So it's um, So they it's interesting. I there's psychologically it's kind of it's kind of fascinating to me to a point where they're at that point nobody really gives a shit about the monkeys. It's been this two to three year run and ride that made some people some money and became a, a flash in the pan, pulp, you know, pulp pop sensation, if you right. will. And uh, and then they are kind of like, well, we still like being a band, right? Yeah, I mean, and they, they wanted they, to keep at this point the in time they name had, and I, right? right? And at yeah. this point in time, they had become a band. Yeah. Um. So musically, okay, if we want to talk about um the pop sensation that was the monkeys their um trajectory matches essentially an almost identical minus a tv show rise and fall of the spice girls in the 90s uh, yeah prefect you know pre-manufactured uh-huh. it was um it, it was these people look good together they can sing enough put them together We'll just sell them. We'll sell that image uh-huh. and their different personalities that we assign them to. Um, in about 18 months time, the Spice Girls released two albums and a movie. And they made a whole bunch of money. A whole bunch of money. And some of them are still pretty well famous to this day for various other things. Sure. So it's it's a similar... It's a similar arc. And they, they, both, both they both made a movie. And they both made a movie. And they're both very self-referential. And very deconstructive, yep. too. Yes. Yep. Yep. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, hitting on points that were important to them. You know, I mean, certainly Spice Girls had the whole girl power thing. Yeah. And they play that up in Spice Girls. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh, yeah. It I, is bonkers. All right. All right. So I worked at the General Cinema, the Quad. Yeah. Uh, when that movie came out. And I probably saw that movie like four or five times. <laughs> it is bonkers. Man. It is. It is absolutely bonkers. I hated the Spice Girls. But I it's mean, an interesting. But I did have a thing for for Posh and Baby oh Spice. Gosh, Both gosh. of those two kind of did it for me in different ways. So yeah, I, you, you and David Beckham are really tied in. Yeah, deep. we are tied in deep. That's, I've, a, I've that's got, an inside. He's story. got a he's got a tattoo of me <laughs> <laughs> on his abdomen. Yep, he sure does. <laughs> you as a leprechaun, which yep. is the weirdest thing it's, ever. Yeah, but it's amazing. That's about the deepest inside joke you could tell. <laughs> <laughs> well you and you and david beckham are in the same things um yeah no i mean it's it, it, as as cuckoo as it is it's a, it, it's an interesting movie yeah um and it you know i mean i was hoping that you'd at least find head interesting mm -hmm. i did yeah and i think you end up actually quite liking it yeah i did a lot um in fact i'm probably gonna go after the the Criterion Blu-ray that I found out is exists. Um, yeah, I like I liked it a lot. Uh, what's funny though is I think it plays better um, to me in the sequences of absurdity. I think yes. It I don't I didn't love the music. Hmm. Um, I really like the the theme song. Um, what is Porpoise it? Porpoise song. song? Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Um, I like the song that you mentioned as we go along. Yeah, but I feel like even that song feels a little strange in the middle of of the movie. Yeah, some of these songs were also, I think, um, some of them may have been leftovers that might have been meant to be part of an earlier time. Or um, the only song that I believe was like actually specifically written for the movie was their parody of their theme song. Called, oh yeah, uh, Diddy Diego. Yeah, yeah, and that was written by uh, Bob Rafelson and Jack Nicholson specifically to kind of, hey, by the way, we know we're fake. We know we're we're selling you a fantasy that you've taken for real, right? Yeah. You know, and yeah, we got rich off of it. You know, yeah, um, and I mean, it's right. I the the music is there specifically because it had to be yeah you know uh, they could have played they could have had other songs in that from from previous albums if they really wanted yeah. to and it were well it's 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 a it's an odd movie um because it is got it has got a lot of that 60s counterculture you know the the um like you said the hollywood new wave the that jack nixon dennis hopper bob Raff Raffleson, um you know, I think all those movies kind of exist in their own universe. I like The Trip, you know, and yeah. uh, Easy Rider and all of that stuff. They all kind of just sit in this in this three or four or five year microcosm of time, right? Yep. And there's a, a huge element of that in this. I think seeing this now and understanding its pedigree, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. It is. It is is right in the mix of that. It, um, yeah, and it it, it skewers a lot of things it skewers um the the idea of popularity it skewers the idea of celebrity uh show business in general um what people think of different generations yeah like 
I think they are just as much poking fun, not only at how the older generation looks at younger people, uh, but also how younger people look at the other generation too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it, there's, there's stuff about religion in there. There's stuff about, uh, about, uh, uh, <clears throat> um, what, um, capitalism. You know, there's just, there's all sorts of different, things that it, it has stuff to say because it was a very confusing time right but interestingly that 50 years later we're in another kind of confusing time it's also it's stuff. also yeah it, it's it's <laughs> it's a confusing movie it's so stream of consciousness it's oh yeah it's very much like dream logic oh, while i'm watching it i'm thinking i wonder i wonder if david lynch liked this movie i know he's seen this movie it just it just it feels lynchian at times um with with its um dream logic and then um, I also got really strong uh, feelings that Terry Gilliam has to love this movie. Like they're, they're, it's very pre-Monty Python uh, in a lot of ways. Considering the amount of people that the monkeys ended up becoming friends with, um, all those people are probably friends of theirs. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I have to be. Uh, yeah. Um, this, this, I mean, that, that's, I guess if I had to explain this movie – to someone, I would tell them it's like a combination of, of um, D- David Lynch's Dream Logic, um, you know, Easy Rider slash The Trip, you know that that sort of counterculture vibe, and um, but it, but also play it as uh, four or five episodes of the monkeys, right? And and that's <laughs> yeah. where the Monty Python comes right. in, yeah. That that satire, right? You know that that sort of the absurd, right? Right? Yeah. It it is really written. In terms of the logic of their TV show. Yeah. Which is interesting because the first time I saw it, I didn't dislike it, but I was like, this is very different than what I just mm-hmm. watched. And for the longest time, I didn't, I didn't have anything but the soundtrack to, and so there, there are cuts, there, there's audio from the movie placed into, uh, Jack Nicholson pieced together, cobbled together a soundtrack from the six, only the six songs that they had. Oh, wow. So he, he took pieces from the movie, from mm-hmm. the audio, yep. and rearranged it. It's a whole different entity. So it's kind of like a Monty Python album. Kind of. <laughs> but like when you, when, you, when you listen to it without context, you understand there are ideas there. When you know what the context is... It's interesting again on a different level. It's a whole different. Yeah. It's a whole different beast, and they should be treated as two different entities. Yeah, interesting. Um, which is very different for a soundtrack. Yep. Also, uh, maybe one of the first kind of soundtracks of its of its kind. Yeah. Really, um, you could say. Well, the Beatles had two movies prior to this, and they also had Yellow Submarine. They all had soundtrack, but they're not. They are soundtracks in name only because only the first side of the album is the soundtrack. The other side is the other song. Yeah, and, and the use of music in a Beatles movie, and it reminds me a lot of how the monkeys used music in the TV show. Right. Right? It's sort of like very playful, cut into a madcap and, scene of some sort. And it usually plays to whatever it is that they're doing. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, this this was totally different. I, the music, when the music came in, it was like, okay, we're going to have like this really sort of abstract three minute music video. Yeah. That's kind of how they use it. And they use it to, to essentially bridge the movie into different different acts. Yeah. Because, um, each monkey gets their own opportunity to, uh, shine and do something. And, and the song that 
that that individual monkey sings is either before or after their moment. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So it is, it is meant to say, okay, song now ends this story and we go back to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, it probably does not come as any surprise to you that uh, this is I'm reading from the production notes here on Wikipedia. Uh, the storylines and peak moments of the film came from a weekend visit in Ojai, California resort where the monkeys, Rafelson and Nicholson brainstormed into a tape recorder reported with reportedly with the aid of a quantity of marijuana. Oh, I was going to say if it wasn't marijuana, there was a there was a stack of LSD blotter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jack Nicholson then took the tapes and used them as the basis for his screenplay, which according to Rafelson, he structured while under the influence of LSD. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Though also, uh, when the band learned that they would not be allowed to direct themselves or to receive screenwriting credit, Dolan's Jones and Nesmith staged a one-day walkout, leaving Torque as the only monkey on the set. The first <laughs> it would day. be it would be Torque. Yep. Uh, the strike ended after the first day when, to mollify the monkeys, the studio agreed to a larger percentage share of the film's net for the group. Uh, but the incident damaged the monkeys' relationship with Rafelson and Burt Schneider the original producers and would effectively end their professional relationship together. Yeah. And, um, that's really kind of unfortunate because they, uh, Rafelson and Schneider really stuck up for them. Um, their woes musically came from, uh, the music director that was, uh, kind of tasked with soundtracking the TV show and taking music that they could record and whatever they could get the four actors to do. Mm Um, his name was, uh, Don Kirshner and he was the primary, um, strife in, in the whole scenario. And, um, he ultimately had to be forcibly removed from working with the production and with monk, with the monkeys during, I think in between the first and second season, maybe, uh, or the second and third album or something like that. Uh, but he would do all sorts of really dickheaded things like, um, um, he, he would make decisions on what singles would be released, ignoring any input from the band or from the producers that were working with them. Um, he would, and, and and the reason why he would give, it's like, well, I'm, I, I got both music and a TV show to sell. So yeah, tough. Uh, now granted, some of those decisions, probably not a bad idea, but a lot of them were bad ideas. Um, or at least, um, should have at least gone to the, to the group and to Rafelson and, and Schneider. And it's like, well, what do you think is the, you know, cause they could put whatever songs from their album that they wanted to into the TV show, but to sell the the group and sell the music and the albums and the singles and whatnot, Schneider almost took that entirely upon himself. At one point in time when the band kept pushing to be a band and to record in the studio as themselves, uh, he ended up packing up the, the in-studio recording stuff and the band that was doing the recording and moved it from L.A. to New York. Oh, wow. So that they would never be a part of it until they were asked to sing. Huh. Um, that doesn't go over well right. when you have a, a, a fictional band, but a band nonetheless thinking they have some control over their image and their and their own sound does not go over well at all. Um, so it, it's it, that's a lot of their rise and fall was that 
you know, it's like, in a way, yes, their music began outselling the TV show, but without the TV show, their music sales collapsed. But without the music, the TV show wouldn't have worked. Uh, you know, it's, it, it was a, it was a house of cards, really, is what was going on there. Well, I think in a lot of ways, yeah, you're right. It was a house of cards, but it was also a perfect storm. Exactly. You know, I mean, it, 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 it couldn't, the lightning in a bottle. I mean, what other metaphors, right? Um, that's exactly what it was. Um, and when, when that happens, you have no hope of sustaining it. No. It's just, it's not going to happen. It's it not. Is, and it's, it's, it's built on the idea that, uh, kids from the age of, eight to 18 would continue to like what you're doing right and their parents continuing to buy what you want from them and the more they started becoming more self uh you know uh you know self-expressive the less likely the parents are going to like what they hear mm-hmm. um and that's understood i mean it's it's different now listening even in the 80s it was different listening to some of those more psychedelic songs that they did later in the tv show era because by then you're so used to the other psychedelic music that had come out contemporarily with them so it's it's a whole you know and yeah it's a it's it's a it it had to be an interesting ride yeah absolutely Um, so so yeah i was just trying to figure it out as where i became a monkeys fan and I'm going to guess it was right around 1986. Yes. Because um, that is when the uh, album Then and Now, Best of the Monkeys, came out. It was sort of a reunion of sorts for them, it wasn't it? It was their 20th anniversary. It was when MTV brought them back. And they wrote a couple new songs for that mm-hmm. album, um, which were actually pretty good. Yeah, that that was then. This is now. Um, and uh, any, anytime, anytime any place, anywhere. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, um, and the show was in syndication. I can never remember if it was on Nickelodeon. It was or first. It was, it was on MTV for a couple of years. Oh, was it? Um, and then they I don't moved think I it. Caught it on MTV. And though. then they moved it to. And then it went to Nickelodeon. It I think. Be, I think it was Nickelodeon. But, um, but I remember it coming on in the afternoons, though. I yeah. remember seeing the afternoons almost like with the Brady Bunch or something. Um, yeah, they were they were kind of a perfect yeah. uh, combo. Um, yeah, so that that kind of brings us up to where I also came in. So. In 1986, uh, th- they they showed every episode of The Monkees back to back to back on MTV over the course of a weekend. And it's, it, you know, for my mom and from, you know, for my mom who liked the earlier Beatles stuff, she very much liked The Monkees. Very much my dad. Yep. Yes. And my brothers grew up with them in syndication in Saturday morning TV yeah. in the early 70s. Yep. Um, this is also a perfect storm. I'm, you know, nine years old at the time. I am all in for this live action cartoon show. Yeah. That has catchy music that has people that you like, mm-hmm. you know, it's that like, was written basically for your demographic 20 exactly, years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and I had a sensibility of, of the Beatles and other, you know, music that my mom and my brothers were listening to when, you know, long before I came along. Um, so I'm like, I'm all in. Well, uh, so, uh, Rhino records. Yep. Um, they go all in, release all of, re-release all the albums as part of the 20th anniversary. We bought them all. Yep. And I have some 
I'm pointing to him right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they all had the sticker on it that, that was, you know, talking about celebrating the 20th anniversary and that, that's nostalgia like none other uh-huh. for me, really. Um, in August, August 1st, 1986, there was a 20th anniversary convention wow. in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, me, my three brothers and my mom went. Wow, really? It was my first Holy ever convention. Holy shit. No shit. Yeah. First ever con was, yes. was a monkey's, monkey's convention. convention. All, uh, the, uh, Peter, Mickey, and Davey were there. Wow. Did they perform at all? Uh, there was a concert that night. I don't think we had tickets for that. I think it sold out. But, um, I mean, I remember going to the Liberty Bell, going, you know, yeah, that yeah. was like the day before the convention started. Um, I think we stayed in the hotel that the convention was in. Um, that's the, so the, cool. My one souvenir <laughs> from it uh, that that I bought was a greatest hits that was released in Europe that was like 16 or 20 uh, uh, songs on the album. I have that over there in my nice. cabinet. Um, I think it was a German release or something. But that was my one big that and a t-shirt or something, I think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like my single mom four boys that's wow you know 12 hours away uh to to philadelphia to this three-day convention wow you probably didn't go on too many vacations like that i would imagine no no not quite like that a couple years before that we went to montana so my my two of my brothers could check take a look at um montana state university oh cool where they ended up uh, becoming friends with uh um justin fonda who is bridget fonda's brother oh really uh, they actually hung out at oh, Peter makes... Fonda's ranch at yeah. one point. D- yeah, don't they have some connection to um? Uh, yeah, Ted Turner, right? Too, he's got a ranch out there. Uh, pro- yeah, probably for Jane. Yeah, for yeah. Jane, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because Jane and Peter, I think, are brother and sister. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, they got to hang out with Peter Fonda. I think they probably smoked some really good pot <laughs> out there. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, one week later, August eighth was my first ever concert. There was a concert in uh, Riverbend, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Riverbend was the name of the place. Yep. Um, it's actually still there. Um, and they were performing with uh, Gary Puckett and Union Gap, The Grassroots, Herman's Hermits. Huh. And uh, it's going to drive me nuts. There was the turtles so i was gonna say it's gotta be the turtles the, the, the turtles the, and turtles, the monkeys were the, the turtles and hermes hermits still like, members of those bands still tour together yes. today yeah. yes and i think it was it must have been an all day or at least a half a day experience um but we went to that too uh and then um about a month later head came out on vhs so you know for a little while it's like you, you, you like i was saying you had this context for something that you have no idea what they're talking about and then when you finally pair it, it's like, this is weird, man. But it's it's enlightening to their plight. Yeah. Um, well, it's no surprise to me that I had never seen Head. Like, I grew up with the Monkees. Um, and I liked their music up to what I was exposed to, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> Which is usually the stuff that people think of. When I think of the the monkeys, like like the the really popular stuff, the first five albums yeah. on the TV show, yeah. Um, and uh, my dad, you know, he, he didn't really listen to anything after like probably. I would not thinking Beatles wise. Probably probably Rubber Rubber Soul was the yeah, line in the, the sand one, for him. 
Yeah, because right? Revolver came next and right. everything was changed. Up. So, um, so I had to discover all those all those late Beatles albums on my own, but I never did the same for the Monkees. I never. It was watched, a different thing. I never was, watched Head, and I yeah. think I'd always been maybe told it was just not very good, or it was whatever. Um, uh, it yeah, I mean, for the longest time, it was kind of regarded as the weirdo thing that they did. Um, it really wasn't until the last. 25 years or so that they got a they got a sincere uh critical reevaluation yeah um so yeah so i mean really it's really hard to describe what head is yes um it there are vignettes Uh uh-huh there are vignettes that talk about war there's vignettes that talk about uh um advertising that's almost propaganda with the coke machine and stuff like that um and and rebelling against stuff like that oh, fucking blowing that blowing that fridge up yeah blowing that motherfucking coke machine up <laughs> things go better with coca-cola people <laughs> um but anyway no there's so there's a lot i mean it's again it's like i mean you can explain an episode of the monkeys we could talk about the two episodes we watched before that pretty succinctly yeah we could talk about pieces of head pretty succinctly uh, to talk about it as a as a as a eighty six minute movie is impossible. Yeah, and what's <laughs> what's interesting to me is somebody described it in some of the quick um, things I read after watching it. Somebody described it as um, as I'm kind of shedding their um, young boy appeal while also trying to appeal to the counterculture movement. Yeah. Um, and their contemporaries, basically, who are who they perceived as contemporaries, and both things failed. Well, 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 they they were able to shed their fans and not gain new ones. Yeah, essentially. So it was a perfect, um, another sort of perfect failure for them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like it's easier for them to do that today in retrospect than it would have been for them to do it fifty years ago. Um, a lot of what this movie and a lot of their history is if you embed it within the sixties, there's a time of counterculture and, and the other normal quote unquote culture rebelling against that. And you hit a brick wall where either you're the Beatles and you still can survive because it's only idiots in the South that Mm -hmm. are burning your albums or, um, or you die. And for the monkeys, they never could get over the more. And the reason why I wanted to bring up the fact that you're a music snob is that that was their main enemy. It wasn't right. them growing up and changing. It wasn't their fans growing up and changing. It was as much as, as much as media pushed them to heights. It also push them down and basically kick them in the nuts at the same time uh, because as more popular they became their detractors got louder and louder and saying they should not be they're frauds they're, they're frauds. yeah you're right and part of that actually uh, is interesting when their first album was released there is no liner notes that that credit the studio in studio musicians oh wow and mike nesmith was like are you fucking kidding me you're you're you are killing us. Yeah. Because the moment they see, and, and yeah. as much as he was, yep. as much as he was, uh, you know, 
screaming and yelling and punching holes, like literally punching a hole in the wall over whether or not they are playing their own instruments on stage. He was the first one to recognize you're going to doom us because you're going too far selling that fantasy. It, it would be like saying, well, it's like, it's like saying, um, there is no William Shatner. There is only Captain Kirk. Yeah. You, you sell that fantasy, which by the way, a lot of Trekkies fell into anyway, that you're, you're killing, you're killing the legitimacy of the person who actually is doing what's well, there. Th- and, and you're killing, you're, 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 perpetuating a fantasy and killing it at the same time you it's should, weird yeah because because the problem is yeah people don't want i guess people don't want to be lied to they want to be tricked right yeah and and i think when you do that when you when you don't give the proper credit um you're, you're not coming out and announcing it in publicity that these this this is not a real band but the clues should be there, and if somebody right. can follow the clues and figure that out for themselves, they're going to be they're going to have a much better time accepting that. Which but, I think is why they became so much more famous twenty years later yeah. than they were in the sixties. Yeah, yeah, um, that's why you know they can sell out a stadium or not a stadium, but a venue fifty years on is that one we know they're now playing their music. Yeah. But it's the songs that we all it's knew the, were a part of it's a fantasy. It's the difference between like a joke and a hoax, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, the, the TV show, there, there was, I mean, they don't, they're not, the, the, the TV show is not realistic enough for you to really honestly believe that they are not actors playing a part. Right. There's no situation in the TV show that's realistic enough. Again, it is a live action animated cartoon, yes, sure. basically. Yeah, yeah. I've always thought of it like that. And I think that's why it always appealed to my sensibilities because sometimes things that go on inside my head look an awful lot like a monkey's episode. <laughs> yeah. You know, like sped up motion, everything, you know, um, <laughs> with a catchy tune behind it, nice. you know, or whatever. But no, I, <laughs> I mean, and that's only partially true. I always joke that like, the things I see in my head are oftentimes cartoons, but they are probably more accurately like an episode of the monkeys. But it makes me feel like too, um, this movie was being made when they were still enjoying success, right? Uh, they, they, yes, because the movie came out later than they expected. So, but it was being made. It was being made at the time that their show was still on the right, air. Right. And they were selling so copies you, of their fourth and fifth album. So you wonder a little bit, at least I do about Nicholson and company's actual intentions with head. Like to me, um, to me, this feels like, and I think everyone would agree in hindsight that it's, it's very much, um, a parody of, of their existing image at the time it was being made. Yeah. So, so you don't do that unless you're trying to make satire. Right. And I think that they were satisfied at and that's that time. A totally different direction right. for, for a PR machine yes. built on making money. Yes. So to me, I feel like there were smart people involved who, like Nicholson probably was like, this thing is gonna, this thing is ending. 
Yeah. Let's let's put the final exclamation point on this joke with this movie. And maybe from that we can launch, maybe you guys can launch off Who into knows? something. Other. Right. I mean, I I think I mean maybe there could have been more movies or whatever. I right. mean, or a, or a different network would have picked up a new version of the TV show or something. Yeah. Um I don't think that anyone involved should have been surprised that this failed. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean because it's a little too early for successful counterculture. It's a year before Easy Rider. Yeah. And when I say failed, I don't mean it was unsuccess- unsuccessful in what it sought out to do. I, right. it, it just failed commercially. It, exactly. And they told, I, think they and told, I, they, I think they told a really fucking funny joke, and no one got it for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> or at least by the time they did get it, maybe by the early to mid-70s, when... Because here's the thing. It's like... Don Kirshner didn't end producing t- uh, producing music for a fake band. He went on to produce music for a band called The Archies. Oh, yeah. That was a fucking ca- literal cartoon. Yeah, yeah. So he, I mean, and later in the 70s, once you get into a little bit higher produced stuff, particularly with like disco and stuff, suddenly you do have a different trajectory of singers not singers and dancers not instrument performers sure yeah you know so oh, by I mean, the time I mean, people... so much of, of popular music today is built around that exactly yeah um and even some well-respected acts are heavily produced yes um for whoever wants to make a chagrin out of that well, i mean, yeah, I, mean I, I don't care much for it but that's okay do you have like the the as a celebrity producer now back exactly. in, back in this time you know who who was like a celebrity producer phil Spector. right was there anybody else that was a really. celebrity producer not really no but do you have them no. now i yeah. mean yeah because by the time you get to the early 90s you have somebody like rick rubin yeah you know and 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 yep a lot of rock and roll acts worked with Rick Rubin. Well, and a lot of uh, former, former musicians in rock bands became producers as well. I th- you uh, think of like um, Rick Ocasek, right? Yeah. Or um, uh, what's the guy from the Eurythmics? Um, oh, shit. Dave. Um, um, is it Dave it. Thomas? I don't have it. Sorry. Da- it's, not, yeah. it's, not, it's not my lexicon. Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart. There you go. Dave Stewart. Uh, I mean, he, he had... I mean, he was being, I mean, he was just, I don't know how much he produced, but he certainly was a guy coming in to the studio because you respected his Mm -hmm. musical Mm -hmm. ear and his talent. Yep. Um, Tom Petty used them, you know. I um, think, I think probably the real soul produce, like the real, like popular, um, producers i guess celebrity producers would have come out of like motown and things like that absolutely that's that's jones yeah yeah that's kind of really i think what kind of made yeah producer uh someone who could be recognized in public spotlight they weren't just the nerd behind the 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 album yeah quincy jones can come in and say i can not only produce you a hit i've already written for it and i've already got you both the lyrics and the music yeah and he's pretty good um he actually had a hit uh, TV theme song. Huh. Really? Which one? Ironside. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Ironside, man. Did yeah. they try to make a movie of that? Or did they make no, a movie they of made that? No, they made a new TV show Oh, it's a it, TV show. And it didn't do very well. Ooh, it looked bad. I don't know why they're trying to do that with so many of these like 70s and 80s TV shows. Because nostalgia sells, man. But some of them. So shows were not very good. 
Like back then, they weren't very good. Can anybody really truthfully tell me that they could watch, I don't know, ten episodes of Miami Vice <laughs> in a row? Like, but no, you could no, watch ten episodes. No, of no one would fucking row. binge Miami Vice. You no, know, no. The, the I mean, TV was different then, right? I mean, like, so they're how trying, the hell? So they're has, almost trying to take like what was popular about a TV show 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, and infuse it with today's, like, like serial storytelling, Oof. and it doesn't fucking work. Funny you mention that, because in 1987, The New Monkeys came out. Aha. And that was garbage. That was <laughs> flat-out garbage. It, but it was it was The Monkeys with 80 sensibility. Yeah. Doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, there is a... Um, in 1997... The Monkees did a special for ABC. It was an hour-long special. What year was it again? 97. 97? And what they did so was... at the end of grunge, basically. They Because they, they make jokes about how they're not edgy enough yeah. and so on and so forth. But they are... Um, it's also the joke that their show never ended. So they, that's, they, they that's make, funny. Yeah, so they're still living together in the same pad. Yeah. They're still doing the same thing. The, people are coming up to them and asking them about, you know, doing, like, what if I said this? Like, to give them a, 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 a plot line to follow. Yeah. And they're like, no, we did that in 1978. You know? <laughs> and so there are jokes like that. I mean, it's it's a little bizarre because it's it's a weird mix of 90s. And they bring back the laugh track? No, um, which might actually make that a little it weird. Might, yeah. Um, so it's it's a weird combination of nineties uh, older people, people in their fifties now, uh, with sensibilities from the sixties, but also recognizing that they're old and would they're it, in a different would time. It, would that go like maybe six episodes? It was only they only did oh, one it was special. special. It was a special. It was a special. It was a, right, and it was the last time and the only time since head or actually since uh we'll just say head 33 revolutions per monkey is 33 and a third revolutions per monkey is terrible <laughs> i watched that last night for the first time i'm glad i held off this long it's terrible <laughs> uh but it was the first time since then that all four of them Had were together together okay uh, right in, in a tv element okay um was that the last time when did davy jones die 2011 or 12 okay so it's not that long ago yeah Okay. It it was uh, shortly after their forty fifth anniversary okay. tour or something. Um, yeah. So it's it, you know they they have a wonderful sense of humor about themselves and about because like that special at one point in time they reference that oh yeah that was episode seven hundred ninety one or whatever <laughs> you know it was and and at one point even like they break the fourth wall and mickey turns to the camera it's like what well, you thought that you know it's like what do you think happens to tv shows after they're canceled they keep going <laughs> you know it's like it, it's it's that perfect idea of what everybody thinks a finale should be is that it doesn't ever just end it's just there's no more stories for us to know right yeah yeah you know it's, it's their lives continue their yeah. lives continue beyond right the 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 lights being shut off you yeah know? yeah it's like cheers still operates even though yeah <laughs> sam and carla are the only ones left there you know yeah um yeah i mean so and that's that's a show that CBS owns that I'm terrified they're bringing back sometime soon. Oh, that'll happen. I will punch CBS in the fucking <laughs> eye. That's going to happen. I know it is. Some fucking turd, you know, junior executive is going to be like, let's gonna bring be, back Cheers. It's going to be fucking Chuck Lorre. We all know it. 
and they're yeah. all going to be. I'm sorry, but dude, Sheldon Cooper, you need help. You don't need your friends. You need help. Oh, you, are, the, you know what it will be, Jeff? It won't be a bar. It will be a brewery. Yes. And it'll be a bunch of brewer, yes. Beardo Brewer Brewers. Yep. That's what it would be. All right, I'm gonna Actually, go. I'm going to start writing a treatment right now because somebody needs to make this movie. I don't need to make it, but it might make me money. <laughs> don't even bother trying to steal this. I've already got the treatment mailed to myself in a, the, in the a sealed envelope. The fact that you're listening to this, it's already copyrighted 2018. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I don't want anything part. I don't. If you do this, <laughs> this show is over. Joe, Joe, end me. A Joe, Jeff. <laughs> All right, I'm losing my mind a little bit. Let's get back on track. Yeah, so, uh, but anyway, um, you know, I mean, I think music snobbery at the time would say, like you said, they are tricking people. They're not a joke. Right. And I think the, uh, people are okay with being tricked. They're being they're being lied to. They're being lied to. Yeah. And at the time, our generation would have probably looked at it as just noise. Yeah. We would have been like, "Wow, it's not Frank Sinatra or whatever." You right. Know, right. That's who we would yeah. have been then. Um. I think why I was curious what you thought is is that you came into it at a different uh, a different um, zeitgeist hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, you aren't in the middle of hearing about how they're lying to people or they're yeah. tricking people yeah. or they're, or they're fake or they're, they're no talent. Um, cause I mean, honestly, other than the fact that they were on TV as a band that they would not release immediately the, the names of the people who did play on the album Really, how much different are they from a Frank Sinatra or an Elvis Presley who didn't write their own songs, right. who sang, who mm -hmm. just sang? Sang and had charisma. And had charisma. Yeah. I would argue that each one of these four guys had charisma. Yep. They had a TV show about their and, charisma. And, and, and what's interesting, too, is that they're truly the the sum of their parts yeah. is what is charismatic about them. Like I know that Davy Jones was sort of the heartthrob for the the teen girls but he to me is the least interesting character in the beatles um those other guys i you I mean think, the monkeys he's at the beatles jesus christ <laughs> i am losing my mind in the monkeys yes <laughs> I, I had to correct that because there's no way i can edit that in post. Yeah. there's no <laughs> way you. i can fix that yeah. it was like I, when on my way over here i heard someone on the on the um college game day make a blatant error and nobody corrected him it drove me crazy yeah so thank you yeah you're welcome <laughs> i can't fix it in post <laughs> i mean i guess i could have tried to find you saying the word monkey and drop it in you could have been like hey just say the word monkey at the end of this episode and then you just plop that in yeah <laughs> in fact maybe you should just do that now <laughs> no it's fine it's fine it's fine we've got charisma here on this show we're trying to make self-referential jokes now exactly yeah so like we we're can, all we're moving we in can, fast motion. We can edit our own head style version of this episode and just tell it completely out of order. Yeah, and in stream uh, consciousness. Let's, which, let's drop in. Let's face it. Some of this segment right now, in particular, is very stream of consciousness. Exactly. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and just drop in last train to Clarksville here. Okay. Take the 
station, don't be slow. I'm a no no, I'm a no no. Cause I'm leaving in the morning and I must see you again. We'll have one more night together till the morning brings my train and I must go. I'm a no no. Wow, that sure was a crazy adventure Ooh, we just went on. Crazy. Huh? We were in a box. And I know. Like, it was like trapped. We, yeah, and then I, I ran super fast. <laughs> and and you were tied to the train rack. You went train. out stage left, came back stage right. It was, I know. It was crazy. And then you were you were tied to train tracks and I had to beat like a guy with a big curly mustache <laughs> yeah, and a top hat. Rescue me. Yeah. <laughs> and then that suddenly was crazy. we were in a boxing ring. I know. Fighting Sonny Liston. Nuts. You're crazy. <laughs> we sure do have fun here. Um, uh, I want to talk about my, my favorite joke in this movie. Go for it. It's so dumb, but it killed me. It's it's there's this whole sequence with um, Mickey where he's stranded in the desert, and uh, it's the whole bit with the Coke machine and blowing that up and the anti-commercialism kind of aspect. It's that in comedy there, but there's this moment where it's it's playing a little bit off of Lawrence of Arabia. This whole sequence is with the, the yeah. sand dunes and this Arabian um, uh, horse rider, you know, that's 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 riding up on Mickey <laughs> and he, he rides up on Mickey. And he's about five feet away and he goes. Pssst. And so Mickey kind of leans in and the rider comes in close and he goes. Pssst. And, <laughs> and they sub- subtitled. Pssst. Pssst. <laughs> and, it just takes off. and it just takes off. And, and Mickey's like, what? What? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I, I I I absolutely adored that joke. <laughs> my um my favorite part of this is actually in the war part, um because it's it that is really seems like something they would have done on the TV show where they would have actually dropped them into a fucking war. Yeah, uh, Vietnam in particular. There's a lot of Vietnam imagery in this. This kind of yeah, it, it's played against uh popularity mm-hmm. so it's like you see somebody get fucking shot in the head like the famous footage of yeah. um uh, the, the Viet Cong guy yes uh, assassinating the other which is so jarring but then it's played against the 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 uh, vapid um uh, sense of of screaming for popularity and and western culture being kind of um separated from from the horrors of the world yeah and it, it's it, it's that's saying something, but that's not my favorite part. I'm no, a fucking psychopath. <laughs> um, my <laughs> my favorite part is the war segment where they're all in this uh, in this trench, and of course Davy can't see out of the trench because he's too short, and so Mickey's like, "Here's here's my helmet, you know, go, you know, just stand on stand this. On it's this. a drag to wear this." And of course he bumps his head. He's you know he's talking about how like. Why don't you just say shot in the arm or shot in the leg? Why do you have to say shot in the head when Peter's like warning him he should wear his helmet? Uh, it's funny. The entire movie, Peter's played as the smart one. Mm-hmm. In the entire TV series, he was the dumb one. Right. Which they even make we that. even make a joke about that. Yeah. Um, which was which was I thought was funny when you mentioned that Peter was the only one that stayed behind. Yeah. Right. It's like oh, Peter's always been the dummy. Yeah. <laughs> But he's probably actually legitimately the smartest yeah, guy of, yeah. the, of the four. But anyway, um, so like, so 
so Mike is like the the lieutenant or whatever, or the major that's like in charge of them, and he's like, uh, somebody needs to go and get, uh, you know, go get ammunition, and Peter's like, oh, I'll go, <laughs> and the, his, Mike's reaction of just saying, see that you do, see, yes, see it's, that you it's do. just it, <laughs> like his hard boiled like that war kills general, me. He's, yeah. he's funny. Uh, it just kills me how deadpan he can be. Mike, Mike is is my I think the funniest monkey because of that. He's so wry, like you said. He's got he, he plays to adults better. I think. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, because I his, made the comment. I made the comment that my favorite monkey when I was a kid was Mickey because he plays sort of to kids. Goofball. Yeah. yeah. And then um, and now Mike is my favorite now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So the other the other joke that you liked. <laughs> oh great. yeah it was phenomenal right after the uh peter saying it's like mickey i'm always the dummy so there's a whole boxing fight <laughs> where uh davy is the boxer he's fighting sonny liston mike is a gangster and it looks like mickey's kind of like just the like the nerd uh numbers cruncher yeah, yeah. he's like uh trying to tell davy to stay down so that they can pay out <laughs> yeah and, and Mike, of because, course, because like, the money says that the, he should, right? He has to stay out, right? Which doesn't make any sense, right? But whatever. <laughs> They're basically throwing the fight, which yeah. was which was the plot of an of a previous episode, anyway. Yeah. Where it's like basically they set Davy up to be like a uh, like a fake champ, like a, a, a paper tiger. Oh, really. which is pretty funny. Yeah, in context of the show, yeah. right? And so, um, so anyway, so uh, so Mickey. Like when Peter or when um, Davy would keep getting up, and you know, like his girlfriend, who's Annette Finicello, tells him to stay down and all of this, and <laughs> and so uh, so Mickey goes nuts and goes into the into ring, the ring. And starts punching everybody out. <laughs> he knocks out Sonny Liston. Yeah, he like knocks out the the uh, referee. Yeah, well, he, he knocks, knocks out, out the, Davy Jones. Yeah, he knocks out the referee by knocking out Sonny Liston. Yeah. He falls onto <laughs> yeah. the ring. And then, uh, and of course, Annette Fudicello is out there. She's no, it wasn't not, Annette no, Fudicello? she's not out there. It's uh, Mike's uh, gangster girlfriend, oh, yeah, yeah, who yeah, I yeah, think yeah. was actually a famous uh, burlesque dancer okay. in L.A. She comes into the she ring, comes like, into the ring and like and like Jason's like, oh my god, is he gonna punch her too? But then he like he like you know he takes her by the arm around her, and he's like, like walks with her over to the the ropes, yeah, and then know? he like clubs her. <laughs> I love that because I told Jeff that that just is perfect because you expect something to happen that if happened probably wouldn't have been that funny. But but would have been funny in context that, you know, it's like he even knocks out the girl. He even knocks out the girl, you know, whatever. He's he's completely and totally lost. But then but they but they know the writing is smart enough to know like that's what you're going to expect (laughs) to happen. So they subvert that. They take your attention away from it, and then it happens. <laughs> right. Like that is just good comedy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Davy has a good like facial expression. First of all, he his featured song, "Daddy Song," is what it's called. Super dark song. It's played super like like super happy and joyful. It's yeah. a dark. It's about a guy leaving his kid. Yeah. Um, most of the monkey songs are a hell of a lot darker than they actually sound um which is a point they actually made in the wikipedia article when they were talking about the music of the uh, almost every every song in this movie is either uh rebelling against their image or telling a sad story yeah or 
being overly realistic about yeah, something. Yeah, th- there's a moment where Peter says, I think it was Peter, who says, um, nobody ever lends money to a man with, with a sense of humor. humor. Right. And they really hammer that with text on screen. <laughs> and and I, I thought about that, and I was like, what are they trying to say there? And to me, it almost feels like, um, you know, I, maybe there's a, a perception that um, funny people are easy targets. Maybe there's a perception, though, that they want to tell a different type of humor well they, they want to be funny in a di- in a different way i take it and the kid the kid they connect well, that, it could be that they're, they're having trouble I, connecting i thought of it like because you know i made four pages of fucking yeah you did because uh, i watched this movie twice recently today and then a couple of weeks ago and i just went to town on the notes um and i took it and when i really kind of thought about it, which this is again a very late 60s thing sometimes things have multiple meanings mm-hmm. uh and you know like ask five film professors what they think the end of 2001 is about you yeah. might get five an- different answers sure um and that's the purpose of it but in that i, I heard a wild theory on that recently actually we'll talk about that afterwards because yep. <laughs> that's a movie i think we should talk about at some yeah. point but anyway um I uh, was thinking about that line. I kind of think of it like they are, they were played for the fool on TV and maybe specifically Peter was, and he was never going to shake that, that persona that he had on TV. Uh And therefore he was never going to be taken seriously. You're, you're typically taken seriously as an adult when somebody will lend you money and they expect you to right. pay it back. Yeah. I, I think that in a roundabout way, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. that that may be, yeah. I mean, more directly, it's because it's Peter's espousing yes. all of the. And more all, than anyone in this movie, he's, he's a different character. He's a completely yeah. different character. Yeah. Uh, but tying to that, one of my favorite, just itty, it's the little thing. Again, it's yeah. the little thing. Yeah. I harp on this constantly. It's the little thing. Um, when he's telling the guys after he tried to keep them from getting trapped inside the box, that's a pretty heavy-handed metaphor, but it's really important yep. to think of yep. in multiple different ways. Uh, they, they're, you know, they are captives of the boob tube. Uh, you know, their personalities on TV followed them forever. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, you see them in a fishbowl, literally in yeah. a fishbowl. Yeah. Um, you know, and here they're, they're trapped inside this box that they can't break out of. And Peter's telling them all of this, you know, the stuff that he learned from a swami in yeah. a fucking sauna. <laughs> which, which, which is, which is beautiful. The digs they make on the Beatles yeah. in this movie are tremendous. And that's a great one. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and the, 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 the big moral of the story of the, uh, of what the swami was telling Peter was that, why should you listen to him? Because he knows nothing. And he repeats everything he learned from that song yep. back to the other three monkeys. Yeah. And when he gets to the point when he says, but why should you listen to me? For I know nothing. There is a look that Davey gives <laughs> yeah. of realization that he's just been fed a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. And he loses it. <laughs> And like bust out of the box. He's like, you want to know how to get out of this box? This is how you get out of this box. And he like punches and kicks the door down. <laughs> but the the look of real 
realization that he just got lied to essentially yeah. or how he felt and it's like we're inside this box we're listening to him who knows nothing you know, well it's nuts well, and it's and it's interesting because you think of the counterculture um scene as sort of a rebellion right um right. they're not really buying into a lot of that bullshit anymore they're they're kind of like you know what we're on this precipice of we we gave peace a chance right but now you know we kind of need to take charge right it's our turn to lead yeah which every generation has that and sometimes generations fumble it uh sometimes they they try to hold pre or, you know late, uh, later generations down uh, which I think is what's kind of going on now. fucking lootly It's what's um, happening now. And it's, you know, because, you know, I I kind of feel like our generation kind of fumbled the ball. Our um, generation was small. I right. Mean, but but when it was our turn to leave, we kind of. Yeah. We punted it a little bit. We, yeah. We, we well, what we did was we, we built a fucking websites. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. our generation is the tech generation. Right. Really. And we, we, we ushered in the information age, if you want to be honest about it. And the misinformation age. Yes, that too. Let's get, let's get real hippie here for a second. And I know I don't, I am not, I'm not buying into it. There was one moment where there was like a fucking hippie freak out happening in this yeah, movie. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to any of these people. That was the and trip. And neither does Mike. That was like the trip. <laughs> the whole, the whole, the whole, like, movie the trip is is that is, yeah. is 90 minutes of that <laughs> yeah which is interesting and can be done yes um but i would tend to find myself <laughs> long story short mike gets basically kidnapped for a surprise birthday party oh, and it's a it's a hippie freak out and he is having none, none of it, of it. It's, it pays off really well <laughs> yeah it's it's fucking funny. <laughs> and, and I am in that boat. I would be like, no, you don't. It's like, I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, don't, you invite me to the party. Don't kidnap me. <laughs> Maybe there's something else I would want to do. Maybe I don't want to do that, anything at all. <laughs> yeah. And the same thing goes for Christmas. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. And everybody, <laughs> everybody gasps. And then they give them like a joyous round of applause. Yeah. Well, the girl screams again yeah. and it just brings it right brings, back yep. to the, it's just everything's a joke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. everything's just whatever. It doesn't matter. You, n- nothing important that you have to say means fucking anything. Yep. So life sucks. Basically. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it, it, it is a bit nihilistic. This it movie. Is. Yeah. It is a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, this is a movie that I I can't recommend to everybody. This I would movie, like this to. This is a movie I'm I'm gonna watch a fucking lot. <laughs> that I'm really kind of sad that I've gone almost forty years without it being in my life. Well, now you got the next forty years yep. with it in your life. I, I really liked it. Um, it it's a very good movie. But if you know nothing about the monkeys, if you don't like the monkeys, or if you don't. No, if I mean, really, if you know a lot about the monkeys, you will get something out of this. Even if you've never seen all of the TV shows or never seen any of their TV shows, you'll get something out of it if you understand the genre that they were. Yeah. Um, because they were kind of a genre of their own. Um, and when you really get down to it, um, you and I, I knew we could talk about this movie because I knew you had at least an appreciation if not directly for the monkeys for my appreciation of the monkeys mm-hmm. um this was i felt much less of a chance than two previous movies that we talked about that did not go over well uh, uh yellow, yellow submarine, submarine and xanadu, and xanadu. yeah 
Yeah. This is this is the perfect way to not talk about another musical for a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, I yeah, so that's interesting because I think the next one is should be me. And yeah. and and I know exactly what it's going to be. And it's going to be Pink Floyd's The Wall. We oh, are we, we are going to watch the fuck out of that. And that's and fine. I'm glad you love it because I, I love that it. movie. Yeah. You we the, could watch it right now. We could. But yeah. we're not. Stay tuned. Because because <laughs> it's interesting that movie to me also I think uses more darker Terry Gill- Terry Gilliam elements or I should say Terry Gilliam I think probably took a lot of his animation and I fuck I have to look at the actual timeline of that Terry Gilliam probably was before the Wall oh yeah yeah because yeah. um, the, the movie The Wall was the album was seventy nine the movie yeah. was eighty two yeah um so that to me is interesting and I and I and I honestly got a lot of um darker the darker vibes in head made me think of of the wall um for sure yeah uh and, just, and some of the the commentary on stardom and um and being like this i know bigger people think you're you're more important than you are yeah. right and then letting that you, you can go either two ways with that well, it, it can it can cripple you because you know that you're not that person or you can let it go straight to your head and become a megalomaniac right, right? And, and in a way that's how they use uh victor mature in this movie uh so victor mature is kind of a he was uh very very popular in the 50s uh, maybe in a little bit before. Yeah, that I didn't get any of those. References. He was he was in <laughs> movies like The Robe. He was in a lot of other uh, like those um, biblical, those big mm-hmm. biblical productions. Mm-hmm. Those were star maker yeah. movies. Um, and he was a big star by the mid 60s. He retired from acting. Uh, he was in a Neil Simon play or movie where he played basically the same character he is here. A person who had been super famous and then was basically living off of his fame by just showing up and people knowing who he is um in a way they're 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 using him as that mm-hmm. other side of well if the monkeys wanted to they could just be what people want them to be right and they could live the rest of their and lives they, and, they, and they literally get like um almost destroyed by that in this yes. movie like that, yeah, the, that, that turns into he turns into a giant. It, that, right, it's ego. It's, he, yeah. he represents ego. Yeah, and I don't think I think they asked a famous person to play that. I don't think he is that way. Right, but I kind of like him liken him to the Troy McClure character yes. on The Simpsons, where it's like, oh, you're gonna know me, but when I just show up, right, I might tell you that you know me from these things, but right. but you know who that person is. Yeah, and they uh, even they even um, take a moment to show you him again but as himself who is unimpressed with himself <laughs> he's unimpressed yeah. he's bored with his with own his per- own persona right. yeah right. Exactly. yeah yeah um so it's you know i mean he's 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 in you know he's you know he's buying into what the movie's trying to say for sure you know? yeah um so anyway i don't know i mean we've talked about this the monkeys for almost as long as head is <laughs> um so I think, oh, one last thing. Um, what I always say is kind of the thesis of this movie is in uh, Porpoise Song, which is the um, the the theme song to this movie, co-written by uh, Carol King, who also wrote my favorite song, As We Go Along. That, that blew my mind, by yeah. the way, that she wrote these songs. Uh, but As We Go Along and Porpoise Song are my top two favorite monkey songs. Um, 
And when they, when they played Porpoise Song in the 50th anniversary tour, the uh, the stop here, and when I saw them live, that I got tingles. I, that blew my freaking mind. But there's a line <laughs> in that song that I feel like is kind of the thesis of what the monkeys were battling against. And that is uh, the line, clicks, clacks, riding the backs of giraffes for laughs is all right for a while. Meaning it's okay to be the clown. But beyond that, you're a real person and, and you have to kind of show that you're a real person. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole That whole song is about being who you are as opposed to your image and and being true to yourself and stuff like that so anyway i think that's a good way to yeah wrap things up. absolutely um next week we've got one of my favorite horror movies yes mine as well honestly um we're we're gonna we're gonna dip back in after just last week talking about halloween mm -hmm. we're gonna dip back into the john carpenter pool yes with uh was it 94 or 95? One of those years. In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, I, not, I think 95. Yeah, I think I because I remember going to see it in the theater when I was a senior mm-hmm. in high school uh, with my buddy Andy. Um, it's a great, trippy, weird movie. It in some ways kind of plays into head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of interesting that we have November movies that kind of mirror each other a little bit. Yeah, but uh, it's because, also sort of a grab bag in a way. It, yeah. yeah, but yeah. It's, it definitely plays into the idea of uh, uh, art and, and reality celebrity and, and celebrity and, yep. and uh, uh, manipulation of, you know, uh, uh, of an image. And of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, um, we're going to talk about that next week. I'm excited. Um, Do we tell them what it was, or are we going to leave that for as a surprise? In the Mouth of Madness? Okay. Didn't I say that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. In the Mouth of Madness. In the Mouth of Madness. Sam Neill, Jurgen Prochnow. Yes. Yes. Carpenter's classic. Carpenter's well, classic. Probably maybe his last classic. Yeah. That's probably true. Um, but we're excited to talk about that. Um, if you are a fan of the Monkees, let us know. Yeah. Let us know what your favorite song is. Yeah. I suspect a lot of them are going to be one of the top hits. Um, Daydream Believer, or I'm a Believer, or Last Train to Clarksville, Pleasant Valley Sunday, great song. All, great All songs. these songs, fucking fantastic. We got through this entire episode. We didn't mention Neil Diamond until right now. Right, because he had nothing to do with Head. Right, but <laughs> but he wrote some of their big songs. He, he wrote a couple of their pretty big hits, really big hits. Um, yeah. uh, I'm a Believer and uh, a little bit me, a little bit you. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Neil Diamond for the win. There we go. Probably launched the uh, the monkeys into near Hall of Fame status. Uh-huh. We haven't even talked about that. Long story short, some monkeys believe that they've been uh, basically uh, blacklisted mm-hmm. for not being performers as well uh, with music uh, with instruments. Uh, some said we're just a, we're just providing a soundtrack to a TV show that just happened to be famous. Yeah, um, it's. Honestly, it would be it would be awesome if they got into what, if they got the into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. but that probably won't happen. Honestly, it doesn't really matter. It's, it, it doesn't. Uh, also, when I was doing my research on that, finding out that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a for profit company, uh-huh. not a just a thing that the music industry has built. Yeah, really, really changed my opinion. It's like they're never going to let them in. It's it's always been a piece of yeah. shit. Yeah, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a joke. It's whatever we can put on TV where there's a jam session at the end with everybody that people like. Yeah. 
Uh, it's, it, I'm sure it's a great honor, but it's probably no greater honor than winning album of the year Grammy. And even Definitely that might, not. And even that is shaky. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but anyway. All right. Well, so then next week. Next week. Let us know if you like uh, uh, the monkeys. That'd be great to know. I want to connect with other monkeys. Yeah. Fans. Um, don't connect, though, if you don't like them. Don't, don't call me a stupid, stupid head. <laughs> you stupid guys like yeah. the monkeys. <laughs> That'd be the nicest thing that somebody who heckled us would say. On the internet? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you can, and to do that, you can always reach out to us on email at yes, uh, filmseizure at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook at Film Seizure, uh, Gmail at Film Seizure. We're the on Twitter, the Instagrams. And the Instagrams and the Twitters. And the Twitters. But all of that stuff is at Film, it's all Seizure. film Seizure. You can find us. Put, fi- put the words film and seizure back to back in that order with no spaces and you'll find us. Pretty easily and quickly. Yeah. Of course, we have FilmSeizure.com, which is where you may be listening to this. You may be listening to it on SoundCloud, SoundCloud. either which way. Yep. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And welcome. Um, but until next week, I am Jeff Arbuckle. I am Jason Oliver. And you have been listening to Film Seizure.